Good morning, City Life. Good morning, City Lifers and visitors. Anyone who is watching this, welcome to Sunday. Another week where we get to preach and hear about Jesus and be church together. Uh, I'm truly humbled. It's my pleasure, and I like I love doing this. Uh, I love having this space with all of you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese, and I am the lead pastor here at City Life. And I always this I like to say this, uh, but this we have to do it quickly. Number one, if you are new or haven't connected or have been coming and just hanging out in the ether here, just like not connected, we are like, connect with us. Below, there's a tab that says, uh, in our notes section, there's a link to our I'm new webpage. Hit that. If you connect with, if you reach out to us, I personally will connect with you this week. I want to hear and journey together. And so do that. That's what we're passionate about. That's what we feel called to do as a church. And so let us know that you're here and we'll reach out. And then also next week after service at 3 p.m. on Zoom, we're going to have our family meeting. And we've been talking about it for weeks. Carla already talked about it, but I just have to say, like, this is the most important meeting that our church has every year. We like to do family meeting more than once to, like, see where we're at and our vision, but this is usually the only time, like, that we really present our budget, how we did last year, how we're, like, what we plan on this year, we're transparent and open, and so this meeting is for a couple people. It's for city lifers. Like if this is your home church, this is like the mo closest thing to require that we have all year round. Be here. If we're your church, if this is your church, come because it's vitally important. And then it's also for anyone who's just like connected or here or like semi uh, interested or you don't know or you're just trying to figure us out. Like come to it. You're welcome. This is also for anyone who, like, if next week, if you stumble into the video for the first time, you're invited because we are, believe in being transparent and open. We have nothing to hide. We play no games. And so, come. Like, you are invited. Everyone is invited to see how we do church and what's important, our vision and our finances, all of that. We're just, like, open it all up and answer questions. And so, next week, 3 p.m., on Zoom, so that we can all do it together, our online people and our in-person people all together. Super excited for it. And so let's start with today's word. I am funny and that I am built in a way like, I think I'm smart, but where my like brain really shines, unfortunately, is like in my ability to be quick-witted with jokes. That's a nice way of saying like, I really like, I really enjoy when people make fun of me because making fun of other people comes so naturally to me. And if you hear me saying that and you're like, really, Pedro, you, it's like, oh, it's because I've been working on it, right? And like, Anne knows how far I've come. That used to be the only interaction I had with people. But like, it just comes so naturally to me. And I like, I don't, I think that's unfortunate because I would rather have a brain that really is geared toward other things, but I don't. Um, and so I really enjoy it when people like, make fun of me and it's like really clever and smart I really enjoy it like that if somebody feels comfortable enough to do that to me that like means a lot because oh that means like we're friends right and so like I, I actually really enjoy when someone makes fun of me in a way that's super clever and unexpected it brings me a lot of joy and so this week I've been thinking about that and I, I want to share about two times in our old space in PS 16 uh, we used to meet at a public school. One of our very first weeks there, 
we bought a lot of new equipment to like really use the space well, and we were still learning where to keep it, and like we we're learning our space, like just like we're doing still now with with our new space. And we were learning, and we had this big container. I am not going to bring it here to my apartment on Sunday. I'll have it there for everyone to see. It's big and it's heavy and it's awkward and it's really long. And we were trying to carry it up these stairs that turned a couple of times. And I remember one of the janitors there, one of our guys there. His name was John. His name is John. He came up to us and he was just watching for a second. And he does this for a living. And he looks at us. And like John was out for blood that morning. He had like a scorched earth policy. I don't know who hurt him that day, but somebody did and he was out for blood. But he looked at us and he said, you guys work with computers, right? And like, <laughs> I just broke down laughing because I looked around at our group and I'm like, everyone here but me works in technology. John, you are 100% right. For as much as my pride is hurt right now, like, you are completely right, John. How dare you? But it was just, like, so funny to me. Like, he just so disarmed me. It's like, ugh, like, John, like, how dare you? But yes, you're so right. And I, I love those moments. This week, I was also thinking about a more justified burn that we received as a church. A couple years back, before the pandemic, uh, us, our church, and a couple of other churches, I don't remember how many, we came together to put on a night. And like the idea and the heart was there, but oh, we got called out, and just fully, rightfully so. This, this is what the night like, what the night was planned for. It was a wine and cheese event to discuss wealth, income, inequality. If the irony didn't jump out from the get-go, let me say it again couple of downtown well-to-do churches in Jersey City come together to have a wine and cheese event to discuss wealth, income, inequality. If you, if like, if you still miss the irony, don't worry, because we all missed it. We put our names to this, like we missed. <laughs> we missed a lot. It was a good night. It was like actually a good night. Um, we had people informed, right, panelists who came and spoke. One guy was a PhD student studying this very topic. Another person, a, a woman was a social worker, and so she, like, was informed and in the know. And then the last presenter, the last panelist was this man who worked for the Christian Community Development Association. The CCDA is this nationwide organization that, like, works in community development with the Christian, like, for the Christian faith. And he, like, so full of love and mercy and grace and tact went up there and talked and then he ended his discussion saying like you know what like i look around the room and i see these well-to-do sunday uh, downtown churches and i don't see the very people we're talking about i don't see those we are addressing we're talking about these people and they're not in the room and like ugh, like the second he said that i was like ugh. 100% right. Like, ugh, yeah, you're like, yeah. There's nothing to say about that. You're 100% right. And I was like, ugh, we got called out. In love. He did it, he did it perfectly. He was like so, uh, like, kingdom-minded in that moment. Brave enough to say that to a whole room of us, but like right at the same time. Like, we, ugh, like we missed it. Like, 
the irony, the hubris in that night, right? A wine and cheese event to talk about, well, portico. Ugh. Yeah, like, chalk that one up as next time we'll do better. And so the reason why we start here today is to, like, I, I like the fact that that story talked about, like, economic things, because we're talking about that today. Like, I, I like the fact that, like, this guy had the courage to call us out to our faces about it, like, with love and in mercy and in gentleness. Like, he did an amazing job, but he, like, did the right thing. And because, like, that's what happens in our story today. Today, we're here to, like, build a very important idea in the sermon series Today is called God's Economy of Generosity. And it's a two-part sermon. Like, really, this should be next week and this week should be preached together. But because I want to be generous to all of you, like, I won't preach for an hour and a half right now. And so we'll break it up into two weeks. But today, like, we're building this very special, very new, like, large idea that Jesus came and he introduced the kingdom's economy of generosity. We've been doing this up until now, I think this is week five or six, uh, we're in the sermon series called Open Table. Open Table because like Jesus did something so interesting in his ministry. We're looking through the Gospel of Luke, because Luke has two things that are peculiar in it. Luke, more than the other Gospels, cares about like representing this Jesus who brought in God's kingdom and for all the sinners and the broken people, for the forgotten. Like, he came for the blind, the oppressed, the lame, uh, the paralyzed. Like, he came for all of the wrong people, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunks. Like, he came for everyone who knew that they were poor. And like, that includes all of us right there. Because like, he came for all of them and he ushered in the kingdom and all of these backwards, upside-down ways to what comes naturally to us. And one of the ways that Luke portrays that most powerfully is that almost every other chapter is at time, Jesus is at the table with someone. And when he comes to the table, the table in Jesus' day was this great leveler, this like show that if you go to the table with someone, you're saying, I'm equal to you, you're my peer, like we are both humans, God made us both, like we're equal. And the creator of the universe, not, he came down, he put on our humanity, and then he met us at the table and every table that he went to, every table that he set up is like this act of a generous God. Like fundamentally, God is described as generous. And one meal at a time, he teaches us his economy of generosity. What I mean, my economy, like we're going to break this up more, but like every kingdom, right, has this way of, this accepted way, this is how we collect resources, this is how we provide and like we know, like in today, right, the, in politics, the economy is always so important because economy is always more than just how we're going to make money or where's the money coming from, but like it touches our lives, lifestyles and what we do and how we fill our days, the jobs that we have. Like the economy is like this huge idea because it touches every part of our lives and like really our identities because like so many of us tie what we do and, and the income that we have to who we are. Um, and it's like, it touches everything. In one table at a time, Jesus shows us that the kingdom's economy is one of generosity. Uh, the Bible Project has this video, a word study on generosity. And they end their video by saying this. They say, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. 
So that's what we're doing today. We're introducing this larger idea in this whole series. Up until now, we've been laying the foundations. Today, like we were going to do a lot of work about putting up the building on top of that foundation about how every table Jesus went to was this act of generosity and showing us what the kingdom of God was really like and how different it is than we're used to. And so let's pray. Let's pray to go into this. Man, that took a lot of time already. Let's pray, and then we'll read God's word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14 today. And so pray with me. Lord, um, I, for, I just want to welcome you here. Holy Spirit, I want to welcome you today on Friday, the preaching of your word, and then on Sunday, the hearing and the implementing of your word. And for our church as a whole, like Lord, that we would embody this economy that you set up of generosity, of giving, sacrifice, of like generousness. Lord, we love you. Teach us this. Put this in our hearts. Change us. Change us. Change us, Lord, to live according to your economy and not the scarcity poverty that we know intimately. So, Lord, we love you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are going to be reading, like I said, in Luke chapter 14. Really, this week and next week, my two-part sermon is verses 1 to 24, but we're breaking that in half, and today we're going 1 to 11. So this is God's story. This is the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the, lawyer, to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now, when he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's do a little bit of catch-up to really understand what's happening here. Last week, we were in chapter 11, talking about Jesus' famous woes, and a lot of those ideas still come up today. Because we're like in this really interesting phase of Jesus' ministry in Luke right now. Like it's just like it's on a different level, and Jesus is doing a couple of different things. Like Jesus continues to be brave and bold. He continues to say the things that he shouldn't be saying according to our standards. He's like saying harsh words about the kingdom, and like he's also like just like talking about the kingdom more explicitly. And like he starts off in chapter 13, right? For chapter 14 does not make sense without chapter 13. And like one of the things he says is starting in 13, 18, he starts talking about like, he's like, the kingdom of God is so 
different and unexpected to how we do living. Like the kingdom of God is different, fundamentally different. You know, like he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like this little, little seed that is planted in the ground, and that little seed over time grows and grows, and we do nothing to grow it, but somehow it grows, and it turns into this beautiful tree that serves the animals around it. Like the kingdom of God, like, ugh, it's different. It grows it's on its own pace, and it's beautiful, and it's like one day going to be massive, but right now it's like growing little, right? It's unexpected. It doesn't work on our timeline. And then he also says it's like this piece of bread, right? It's like this bread when you, in, you put all these ingredients in, you put in the yeast that is like somehow also alive, and you let it prove, and you let it sit, and it's like growing on its own. And you do nothing to grow it, but it grows and it grows, and then you take it, and you bake it, and this beautiful bread comes out, and you're like, wow, like, I didn't do, I don't know how I did that, but somehow this beautiful bread came out, and it's so delicious. Like the, the kingdom of God is so different from here. It operates on different principles, different levels. And like this economy of generosity is fundamental to what he's starting to talk about here. But then like he also like gives a warning. He's like, you can also miss the kingdom. We, we don't believe in universalism because like Jesus didn't. But he, like in verse 25 and 26, he, like, he kind of shocks us, right? This Jesus, this Sunday school Jesus that is like here for everyone and always offering himself, right? And he is doing all of that things. But he also like teaches us, he says in verse 25, when once the master of the house has arisen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. And he will answer, I do not know where you come from. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But then the master says, I don't know where you come from. It's like, oh, like, be careful. Seek the kingdom because you might miss it. Like, you'll miss it. At one point, the door's closed. I don't know exactly when that is. Only God does. But he, like, teaches us, be careful. Search. Don't waste time. Don't play games. The kingdom of God is so different, and it's, like, so, like, ugh, real, and you should seek after it. And then, like, we start to, like, be taught, like, what this kingdom is. And in this story, we get these two examples of, of like, how Jesus' economy works in his kingdom. Let's talk about the healing on the Sabbath. Verses 1 to 6, like, have this section here tied down. And Jesus is going, he's like, okay, like, I have to start here because I have to. I know you're probably tired of me saying that, but once again, the Pharisees invite him, and Jesus says yes. We never see him turn down them, even though they were his enemies, his critics, even though he knew they would kill him. Like, he shows up when invited. He does. We never see Jesus turn them down. Jesus will come if invited, all the time. And so he goes, even though they have this ulterior motives, right, ominously that says that they were watching him carefully, right? All they wanted to do was catch him in a trap. And as the people were coming in, let's set the scene, the people are coming in, and this man comes in with dropsy. Dropsy is this condition where water builds up in our tissues and in our body cavities, I'm not a doctor, but I've read, and it's like painful, and it deforms you, it like swells you up. Most people who have dropsy have it in their legs, feet, and ankles, and it just like balloons up, and it gets really big, and it's painful. And this guy with dropsy comes here, and Jesus looks at him, connects with him, just like he did like with people, because he could see us perfectly. We talked about that weeks ago. He sees us in our struggle and loves us. Remember that named uninvited woman. 
and like he he like just loves and he uses this to ask them a question to teach them something to like show God's economy and generosity. Remember, this is on the Sabbath day, the day with all of these rules with it, a day that God did set up and said to make special and holy. But like always of what the Pharisees do, they built this maze around it and then they couldn't find the heart of it. It was like ruled by, it rules and not by people or the Lord or mercy or grace or love. And he asked them, he's like, it's the Sabbath. Can I heal? Do I have your permission to heal these people? Like in your rules, in your system, is that okay? And I can only imagine what's going on in the room. I can imagine this guy with, like the guy with drops, he's like, yeah, like, Jesus, do it, like, rid me of this, heal me, like, do it, heal me, like, I've heard of what you can do, do it for me too. And then I, I think of, like, the reactions of the Pharisees, and I think if they were leaning either one of two ways, like, either they were like, do it, yeah, heal him, so we have another piece of evidence against you, like, so we can nail you on that cross a little sooner, yeah, like, do it, Jesus, heal him on the Sabbath, break our rules. But I can also hear them saying, no, like, how dare you do not break our rules. Like, this is what God says, not knowing that God was right in front of them. Like, this, like, do not break our rules. Don't you dare do that. And we get, like, a really important piece of the kingdom here. Like, of God's economy here. He's, like, like his generosity is for people. It's for love and service and mercy of, like, people. Not our rules, not the games we play, but like uh, for people. Even on the Sabbath, this like in another gospel here, he talks about his, he asks the question, is God, is the Sabbath for man or is man for the gospel? Like who's to serve here? Is it the rules or is it people? And it's like in my economy, it's the people. Like in, in my economy of generosity, I feel like we serve sacrificially. Like, we serve even at the cost of ourselves, even at the cost of our rest on the Sabbath. Like, if somebody needs to be touched by kingdom, like, I can heal this man. Jesus is like, I can heal him. I can take away his pain. I can take away his deformity. Like, should I do that today, or should I make him wait another day? And we would say, like, oh, make him wait. But in Jesus' economy of generosity, like, even on the Sabbath, Jesus can heal. Jesus can like break the rules that we make to serve people. God's kingdom is about people. His economy is to serve people. And then like after this, he breaks out into a wedding feast story. Then verses 7 to 11, like Jesus allows everyone to come in. Remember the first story, people are coming in. And like he like sees this person and he jumps on the opportunity. But then, like, he continues to walk after that. He heals them. He sends them away. He teaches them this lesson, right? And then as the people, like, really settle, he continues to watch. And here he says, like, he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Like, he saw that everybody was, like, oh, fighting, like, looking out for number one and, like, trying to get the best seats in the house. And if we're not careful, like, I think because our, like, because this culturally isn't what we know to see, I think we can take bad principles from this. And so, like, let's, let's first focus on the context here, right? Uh, in the beginning of the sermon series, I talked about how, like, the table is magical. It's, like, beautiful. It's, like, this place where our souls, like, really connect and we see one another. And Jesus coming to the table with us, like, Jesus, God himself, God and man, coming to the table is this act of generosity towards us, right? And it's like, yeah, like, 
there was also this like whole structure around it that we don't really have for today. There were like these seats of honor, honors. Like there were these special seats that signified that this person was special in that moment. I, I was thinking, and I might just not know, but I think like oh, overarchingly here in like the world that we live in or in American culture, like only the head of this table is really significant, I think. Other cultures might have other rules that govern it, but uh, to my knowledge, like it's the head of the table that like really means something. And that's why when we go brunch, like I intentionally never sit at the head of the table because like I don't even want to communicate that even like not like on accident. Because I as lead pastor here, I serve among us, not on top of us. And so like I don't even want to display that. Like I I with that, I yeah, I'm like the pastor and I, and I lead this flock, but like I lead from among. But in Jesus' day, there were these seats that meant something really special. Like one day I'll preach about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples because that story is all about hierarchy and sitting at the table. Like that, that's actually like a beautiful story of Jesus' humility. But like the, all these tables, and so this is the story he tells. Remember, this is a story. He tells them the story. He's like, imagine you're invited to a wedding, and you're like, don't sit in the seats of high honor. Like, don't sit in the special seats. Jesus looked around, and everybody was just, like, craving these seats because they want to be seen. They want everyone to know that, oh, like, I have a place of honor here. It's almost like these tables here are the best, and then every chair, I mean, this chair here is the best, and then every chair has less significance. Like, everybody wants to be at the head of the table, the head of the line, right? Everyone wants these special seats, but he's saying if you're invited to a wedding, like, don't sit in one of the nice seats because the host might come up to you and say, actually, this seat is reserved for someone else. And then in shame and embarrassment, you have to go to the end of the line. But he says this instead. Go, when you go to a wedding, sit in the lesser seat so that the host will actually come up to you and then show you honor in front of everyone and bring you to a better chair. And he ends the story in verse 11. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humble. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's like this is like God's economy of generosity on display here. But how so? Like I think we can take this and we can make really bad ideas from this. What I want us to resist is like the gospel or the economy of generosity isn't, hey, hate yourself. It isn't think very low of yourself. It isn't like, don't want nice things in life. It isn't destroy all of your ambition. It's like, don't want to be honored. It's like, it's not even that. Kingdom of like God's economy isn't full of people who like just are really hard on themselves. Or like really cut yourself down all the time. It's like, it's not that. He was talking about humbling ourselves and like the show of but rather, it's like he's like challenging us to like not live through the principles of life that we have like known up until now, like the economy that we've been taught up until now, like struggling and fighting for what's yours and providing for yourself and making sure you have the best and like no one else is gonna fight for you, so you need to fight for yourself. And so like he's saying, like, hey, don't live in this mindset. This is from the worldly economy. Resist this idea. A couple of ideas. Idea number one. No one else is going to look out for me, so I have to I have to get it for myself. 
That is not a part of God's kingdom, his economy of generosity. Don't think, no one's going to do this for me. I have to do it for myself. No one's going to provide for me. I have to fight it for myself. Resist the idea of, like, is God holding out on me? Do I not have all of these things that other people have? Like, do I not have this show or this honor? Am I not in one of these special seats because God is holding out on me? It's tempting. Don't think that. Another thing is, like, maybe maybe there isn't enough. Like, I have to go out and fight for myself. I have to get my my piece of the pie here because no one is going to give it to me. Like, yeah, that's, like, really comes naturally to us. That is, like, the world's economy, but in God's economy, like, resist that. Resist the fighting for yourself, to provide for yourself, thinking like, no one is going to do this for me, i got to get it for myself. That's not God's economy. Rather, God's economy is for people who can humble themselves in front of others. Not only in front of others, but who can humble themselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, like, really plainly tells us what God's economy of generosity is all about what Jesus did by coming down here. In the NLT translation, it says this, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Like, look at the example of our Lord, right? The guy in the kingdom. Like the Christ, the Savior, the one who has been exalted over all. He lowered himself. He became poor. He turned his back on all the riches of heaven, right? Like this universal cosmic creator, this uncaused causer, like left everything in heaven and became a poor baby, an exile as a baby, a poor mason, like, and over his life, a homeless rabbi. Like, crazy. I mean, even just coming down here is humble enough. Oh, we gotta keep going. Okay, we gotta keep going. But like God's economy is one of generosity. Of like giving and giving, because you can't ever outgive the Lord. Giving what He's calling you to give because you can never outgive what He's telling you to give. So let's wrap this up a little bit more. Let's talk about uh, God's economy of generosity. And so next week, we'll continue to preach on this one. This is a two-part sermon, and next week's verses will like really tie in together this week's verses. But let's, like, let's talk about this economy really quick before it's time to go. Like here in these stories, Jesus is telling us in chapter 13, he's like, the kingdom is different. It's different, but it's beautiful, and it grows, and it consumes more of your life, right? We talk about economy is like much more than just money stuff, but it's like our whole lifestyles are touched by how we make and provide and like what we do and how we're generous, who we bring into our lives and how much we can afford and how much we can give away. And our identities are tied into all of that too, right? When I say economy, it's so much more than just like money and bank account, but it's that stuff too. And so like this economy of generosity, like it changes everything about how you approach life, how you think about life and resources and like God being good enough and big enough to provide for you. And Jesus cares on the Sabbath because it's a, the Sabbath is about people and not about the rules. And he talks about sitting at a wedding seat because he's like telling us what the kingdom of God is like. It's like about humbling ourselves 
to reprogram our way of thinking to like how Jesus lived through life generously. And so like over the course of these weeks, I've been saying a few things, and I've been saying them on purpose, but like today I want to be a little bit more explicit about them, bring them up to the front like a little bit more than we have up until now. And like I just want like want to say three statements about God's economy of generosity. Is that you don't have to be scared that Jesus won't be enough. Our world economy is built on poverty and scarcity. But none of that is a part of God's kingdom. In Jesus, there's always enough. In the body of God, there's always enough. Emotional financially, in terms of honor, of respect, of love, of acceptance. If we are really living as a church in God's economy, we won't ever run out. We'll sacrifice for one another. We'll take care of each other emotionally. We'll be not enough relationally. We won't run out. Second statement, you don't have to fight to provide for yourself all the time. We're taught, look out for yourself. Get your own first, and then other people can help you. Nah, like, God's economy rejects that. You don't always have to fight for what's yours. You can be generous. God provides everything I have, God gave me. Everything you have, God gave you. Everything. We don't always have to fight to provide. He does that. And he gives us what's truly important to have. Same number three. Again, you don't have to fight for what's yours. Instead, we do the opposite. We live out of generosity, always giving. Giving what God calls us to, right? There is a lack of wisdom in giving what God hasn't called us to do. Like, give, be sacrificial. Like if God is telling you to give it away, no matter how big or scary it is, give it away. Give away money, give away your time. Bring people into your home. Like, uh, challenge yourself. Don't, like, don't live your life out of poverty thinking that you won't have enough, that there won't be enough at the table, that like you're going to miss out, or that other people won't provide for you. Like God's economy says, give, because somebody will give to you, and then somebody will give to that person. Live in God's economy of generosity. And so like the implications of this expand like, to every part of our lives. Like, at your job, don't be cutthroat. Like, don't backstab people. Like, work ethically. Don't worry about that promotion, because only, like, only God will give that to you if it's his to give to you. Like, don't, like, you don't have to fight all the time for your honor, for people to see you, for your significance. You already have those things in the Lord. And you only really want it if God is giving it to you anyway. It's like our job to humble ourselves, like Jesus did. So I, like, I want to finish talking about this one story. Like, the overarching call for us in this passage is humble yourself. Verse 11 says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Like, trust that God will humble you at the right time. Remember, the kingdom is unexpected. It works not on our time, not in the way we think it was, but like God will honor you. He will bring you up. He will like give you everything in life that he knows you need. He will shower you with blessings 
So let him bless you instead of fighting for everything you're not called to fight for. And so uh, let me tell this story. Uh, a lot of people know this story, but for anyone who's joined us in the pandemic, I don't know if I've shared this. When I moved to Jersey City, Ann and I, like, we knew that God was calling us here. The church had no money to pay for us, but we came anyway because, like, why would we waste time somewhere we didn't feel called? And so we moved here, and I Ubered. I Ubered a lot to be able to afford here. And it was the time in my life where we made the least amount of money. And I came and I drove and I was angry for a lot of that time. Like I was like, I was really angry, but I like ride after ride, day after day of scraping by, like really scraping the barrel to be here. To live in an expensive city, have almost no money and a newborn child. But like we knew we were called here, so we kept on doing it. We kept on going. It's no glory of ourselves, but like to God's ability to provide for us. We lived off of 20, like we made less than $24,000 that year. We lived off of less than $12,600. Like, God called us here. We knew we had to be here. And in the poorest time of my life, like, I was richer than at any point in my life. Like, God gave us everything that we needed. And I came to this realization right after right after right, like, encounter after encounter, like, people who wanted to talk about the Lord after, like, one after the other. And I like came to this point, and I started praying this over myself. And I was like, Lord, uh, I don't trust in any Uber algorithm. You bring people into my car that you want to be in my car. Like, I put no trust or faith in any algorithm. Like, Lord, you orchestrate that algorithm to bring to me the people you want me to be with, to just be with them, to bless some, to hear from some, to be challenged by some, to like really be challenged by some, but like, like, Lord, my faith is in you. And so to this day, you might have noticed, like, I have the Uber sticker still on my car, and it's not, I don't drive anymore, and I'm super grateful to not drive anymore, but I keep it on there because it humbles me. Like, it actively humbles me. Because I remember when I put that sticker on, I was so embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I was a, I had a master's degree that I like graduated near the top of my class, that I won our denominations award for like for like the top graduate of the denomination. Like and I was driving a car. And it humbled me. And it still does today and like I, I keep it on my car because like I'm still a little embarrassed by it and it humbles me. It reminds me of where I've come. Like how God has given me everything that I have right now. And so our assignment for this week, because like we want to change, like the kingdom is supposed to change us. Do something that humbles yourself this week. And I don't know what that is. For some people, it's to take a Sabbath. You like so cannot disconnect. You cannot stop working. It's a lot of issues there. Humble yourself by taking a day off. Trust in the Lord to provide. For some of us, it might be like, giving something away that you don't want to. Give away a lot of money to someone. Be really generous to someone. I don't know, like the Lord knows and he'll tell you, ask him, Lord, how can I humble myself? And he will show you. Humble yourself this week. Do something active with your body or with giving something that will humble you and say, like, Lord, 
I don't live in your economy. I don't live with that amount of trust. Teach me how. If you have any questions about that, email me at preese at citylifeandday.com. If you have my number, call me. Like, I want to talk. Like, let's talk this through. Because it can be a lot of things. I don't know what everyone is called to get away. Humble yourself this week. Like, God, I want to live by your economy. So if you want to get ready for next week, we're going to be in chapter 14, verses 12 to 24. Read that story. It's an incredible story. Say, like, Lord, what is your economy? Like, what is it teaching me? Like, how is your table of generosity need to come and inform how I live my life? Not in scarcity or poverty, but trust in you also that you will exalt me at the right time. And so, church, remember, next week, family meeting. We love you all. See you at our MCs. Um, reach out to me if you, would, if you need anything, if you'd like. Um, that's what I'm here for. That's what I love to do. And we'll see each other soon. All right? Love you.